Welcome to the Ad Nauseam Podcast, where classical gourmands everywhere can finally get their fill. Join us for a delectable discussion of Greco-Roman civilization stretching from the Minoans and Mycenaeans through the Renaissance and right down to the present. And now, ladies and gentlemen, here are your hosts, Dr. David Noe and Dr. Jeff Winkle. Welcome to the Ad Nauseam Podcast. My name is Dr. David C. Noe, and I'm here in the Vomitorium with my good friend for episode 67, Dr. Jeffrey T. Winkle. Jeff, how are you? This evening? Yes. I'm feeling great this evening. Are you really? I had a good day, a nice relaxing day. I'm, I'm, I'm ready. I'm, pre- I'm prepared, I think, for pre- this podcast. Prepared and ready. Prepared and ready. Okay. Yes, You've I'm, been through the bloom stage. <laughs> exactly. I'm ready to brew. All right. I'm ready to go. How, how are you feeling? I'm doing pretty well. Good. Uh, you know, it's been a long day, like, uh, like most days. Uh, had a delicious meal, I have to say. You did? I did. I had a chicken pesto pizza. Really? For supper. Did, was this home, homemade? No, no, no. We went to a, a restaurant. Okay. Papina. Well, I've not heard of this one. It's not the name of a restaurant. It's the Latin word for restaurant. Oh. Papina. Okay. You like that? Wait, yeah, you're kind of flaunting already. Oh, come on. <laughs> Humble brag. Yeah. I don't know that much Latin. Chicken chicken pesto pizza, it sounds excellent. It was delicious. Yeah. What did you sup on for the dining? Uh, I, I made tacos for the family. Tacos. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Chicken tacos. It was great. Picante DM sees the salsa. Exactly. All right. Exactly. So what are we what are we doing this evening? We well tonight we are this is a, a holiday themed mm. uh, episode. We are going to give our listeners a suggestion of some stocking stuffers for the the classically oriented uh, gift getter. Okay. Yeah. So the classically oriented gift getter mm-hmm. is going to get some suggestions for what they might get got. Exactly. All right. I couldn't say it better. <laughs> So as we get into it, we mm-hmm. need to start with a shout out. As always. So who do we got tonight? Tonight we have a, a good friend of my son's, actually, her name oh. and my daughter. Her name is uh, Campbell Wiersma, and uh, Campbell is a local Grand Rapidian. Excellent. I don't know if she lives exactly in Grand Rapids, but in the, the vicinity. Uh, Campbell is a junior in high school, and she has been homeschooled her entire life. She is currently enrolled in uh, CC and is studying Cicero and Julius Caesar. In her free time, she enjoys reading classics, poetry, and hanging out with my kids. Really? Yeah. So she spent time at your house? Yes, she has. Really? Delightful young lady. Used to work for a bakery. Oh, really? You want to be friends with someone who works at a bakery. Yeah, I, I agree. I used to work at a bakery. Did you really? Yeah, I did. Yeah. Vans? No, it was not Vans. This was out in, it's out in Hudsonville. It was okay. called Beerling's Cream Curl Bakery. Beerling's Beerling's Cream Curl. Cream Curl. Uh-huh. That was kind of their signature So it's, uh, it's a hairdo and a bear claw. <laughs> At the same time, <laughs> like that. No, their especially item was a. You know what a cream curl I is? I do not. It's like a. It's like a pastry horn, and <laughs> it's injected full of the of the cream. It's an injected pastry horn. It is <laughs> exactly. They tried that name first and did not sell well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What would that be like? Uh, an IPH. An IPH. Yeah. An injected pastry horn. Yeah. So, so <laughs> what was your responsibility? I was the. I rolled. Injector. I rolled. I did not get to inject. I rolled the dough and fed it through a flattener machine. <laughs> For hours. Yeah. You rolled the dough. Yep. And, they had and put, for hours, fed it through a flattening and, machine. Which sent it down this conveyor belt, which chopped it into the proper length of pastry. Then so other, that it could the, be injected. Well, then people had to roll it, and then it baked it, and then you inject it. Mark it with J or anything like that? I'm sorry? Did they have to mark it with J after they rolled it and padded it? Mark it with a J because of, of my... Jeff. Got, gotcha, right? I wasn't you know the with... children's rhyme? Yes. Yeah, okay. you roll it, you mark it with whatever. And then toss it in the oven for... for baby and me. Okay. Like that. Yes. So thank you, Campbell, is what we're trying to say. <laughs> right. 
for listening and uh, being a devoted devotee of yes, the podcast. And I, hope, and I hope your experience working at the bakery is much better than mine. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And uh, reading some Cicero and Julius Caesar, how we love to hear that. That's great. You have an opening quote for us? Yeah, this comes from Phyllis Diller. The late Phyllis, Phyllis Diller. Diller. Comedian. Comedian. Very funny. Yes. And uh, the, the quote uh, reads, Christmas is a time when everybody wants his past forgotten and his present remembered. Oh, isn't that nice? It's very nice. It's not very funny. Equivocation. His present. Oh, his present. I got that. You didn't get it. There's a joke. I, I didn't you spent too joke. many years injecting pastry horns. <laughs> <laughs> You've forgotten it. Yeah. His past forgotten. Mm. His present. present. I see. I, I, didn't, I didn't catch the wordplay there. Yeah, so. you don't have the gift, so, I guess. Yeah. Uh, sorry, Phyllis. No All right. disrespect intended. So we're going to give the listener... Mm-hmm. Or the viewer. And or the viewer. A yep. lighthearted look at how they can equip and outfit their classically obsessed loved one this holiday season. We're going to go through some stocking stuffers. Yes. Some things that would, I think, uh, at least from my list, would fit nicely into a stocking. Some that are are um, maybe not for an actual stocking. Not stocking size. No, and some are, are theoretical or even digital in my case. Do so. you have a um, do you have an actual stocking that you hang by the chimney with care? I do. My okay. mother-in-law is a is a great crafter, and she's made oh. stockings for all of us. They're wonderful. Oh, yeah. How about, really how about you? I have one that uh, Mrs. Noe made for me long, long, long ago, uh-huh. and uh, we put it up every Christmas, and uh, I, I really appreciate it. Is it is it personalized? Does it have things on it that kind of it's represent you? Not especially. There are no you know irascible elements or anything like that. No, uh, it's not no grumpy stocking. Curmudgeonly. <laughs> I have a bah humbug sweater I like to wear. Nice. That's, that's, that's me. Yeah, 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 yeah. But uh, no, it's just, uh, I think it has some apples on it. Um, if I try to describe it, I won't remember it, so I better not. Yeah. But very nice. It's a nice personal touch. So let's get right into it. And okay. uh, Jeff, we are going to start out with uh, some of your picks. Now, is top 10, top 11? Well, I mean, I came up with 11. Okay. Uh, so it, uh, part of it is is uh, it's, a, it's a Spinal Tap reference. Yes. My, my list goes to 11. Right. Um, also, my, my favorite... Uh, uh, author from antiquity, uh, Apuleius, his Metamorphoses, his book uh, had a chapter eleven. Okay, so got, I, I like kind of the oddity of that. So all right, I, I, went, I went one beyond. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, Jeff. Well, yeah. let's get started. What's your first one here? My first one. Let me reach down to grab it. And for those um, watching, uh, visual aid here. For those listening, in uh, uh, an incentive to maybe check out the video. Yes. Okay. So, uh, so what is it? This tiny little book, uh, this complete handbook of Greek verbs, is one of these things that absolutely got me through grad school. Okay. Right? So uh, we did that episode on uh, our the ten, the nine things I hated about grad exactly. school. Exactly. And so, and we went through some of the 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 travails that both of us went through. It was a mm-hmm. it was it was a rewarding but a very a difficult time. Yes. And this tiny little book here. Um, which I, you know, I, I, you know, I have it here on my stocking stuffers uh, list, but I'm, I'm curious to know if it's even in print anymore. I think it has probably been reprinted by someone. I've seen okay. some things like that floating around. Did you ever have this thing? I, I didn't. I know of it. There was another one by Veitch, V-E-I-T-C-H, okay. which is uh, Greek verbs, irregular and something. Yeah, something. yeah, yeah. Similar kind of uh, comprehensive list of all the different forms of the Greek verb, right? And this this is falls into that same kind of category, and it fits right nicely into your into your back pocket if you so desire. Right. So, um, yeah. So, like like uh, uh, Dave was just saying, it's a um, it has hundreds and hundreds of Greek verbs in here, and it gives them uh, for each verb all of their forms. Decline. Decline. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's wonderful. It was a uh, um, uh, we I had a professor in graduate school, uh, Bob Wallace, mm. and all of us in his Greek class, we all all of us, us students had this thing. Did you and sign each other's copies? We should have. Yeah. That would have been great. Make it but, memorable. But he hated it. 
He hated Why? He, I remember him saying, he, I think he said this was, uh, he had like an Italian version of it that was called like Tutti Verbi, like the, all the verbs oh. or something like that. Ooh. So he, he always referred to this, oh, I see you all have that Tutti. You've got your Tutti on the desk. I hate it. So he, I mean, for him, he says, this is, becomes your crutch and you won't learn the verbs, mm. right? But um, reading, you know, Thucydides and Herodotus. Aeschylus. Aeschylus. Oh, it was brutal. Yeah. And this thing came in handy. So I think for anybody who's serious about learning Greek, this is, uh, I wouldn't say it was a, a crutch, but an absolute right. necessary tool for, for getting getting through. Yeah. Well, the nature of a crutch is you don't use it forever, right? Yeah, exactly. So when it comes to talking about books as crutches, I'm generally against that notion idea as well. But you don't stay on it. You stay on it until you regain strength yes. or until you learn how to walk. I like that. Yeah. Tra- training wheels is kind of the idea. Training wheels. So who's the author? The right? author is, um, it comes from a certain... Um, uh, Marinone and Guala. Mm. So I think that's the, there's your, the, okay. at least Mar- Marinone, the Italian. Yes. Right? Uh, the N stands for Niccolo, maybe? Niccolo and I know. Marioni and, and Frances, something like yeah, that. Yeah, Francesco. Francesco Aguala. Right. right. So it was originally printed in 1961. The copy I've had was reprinted in 1988. Mm. I have no idea what the status nice. of is these days, but so we could cheap. Call, Check it out. Yeah. We could call that a Wadi Makeum. Uh, yes. A to be taken with me. Yes, right? exactly right. A wadi makeum. Yep. So I, I took this everywhere with me. Sweet. Uh, on campus at Northwestern University. You got to do that. So yep. that's number one, to that's, stuff in the stocking. Yes, absolutely. And I, one of the reasons I chose it because I thought, yeah, this could easily fit into it a It could, stocking. for sure. Right? Yep. So let's go on to number two. What number two is one that would not fit into a typical stocking. It's um, uh, one of the, the, from the Asterix series. Did you ever read these? I have just a little bit. Okay. I have a distant admiration for the Asterix series. I don't really know what to think of them, but I'd like to learn more. Yeah, um, I loved these things. So, um, I mean, this was this, these go way back. I think they were originally written and um, and drawn in the 1950s and the 1960s. Are they French? Are they Belgian? Mm-hmm. Netherlands? I can't remember. The uh, I think it's the uh, so Goschini. He's okay. a Frenchman. He's the one who writes these things. And then it was uh, Uderzo, an okay. Italian man, ah. who uh, pinks it. Who uh, drew who pinks it? Oh, yeah. So it's a trans uh, transalpine yes kind of collaboration, right? And so, and but it's definitely kind of French in focus. So kind of the, the gag is that it's from the the Gauls' point of view, hmm. and it's this last kind of holdout against the Romans. You have okay. these um, the, these Gallic barbarians, yeah. Um, and in these stories, the Romans are are kind of the the buffoons hmm. in the eighties, and, and whatever they try to do, they're trying to kind of capture this last village. So it's kind of like it. Hogan's Heroes. It is a little bit like Hogan's. Did you Heroes. ever watch Hogan's I Heroes? I did as a kid. I wasn't a huge fan. But I, I wasn't a huge fan either because I couldn't understand a lot of the humor. Right. But my dad thought it was very funny. Your dad liked it. Thought sure. It was hilarious. And yeah. it's about you know the was the Americans in the prisoner of war camp. Yeah. The German prisoner of war camp, and the Germans are. Um, what they're you know buffoons, the buffoons, right? right and right. the Americans are imprisoned but constantly outsmarting them. Exactly. So yeah, that's how it, how it is. It's definitely, and that's kind of a, okay. a classic comic con- conceit. Yes, it right? is. The, the underdogs are the ones who really well, have all the all the cleverness. Right. It's the Plowtine slave master trope. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Right. 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 See how he works some classics in there. Exactly. Right. Ah. It's, it's it's Xanthius and frogs. Right? Nice. Right. So um, what, what what's wonderful about these is that um. Uh, they're printed in dozens and dozens of languages. Right. So I remember when I had to pass my... Um, I, th- I think we can set it out here. No, I don't want you to be stuck holding that. So oh, okay. Yeah, we can put it out here. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I remember when I was uh, studying for my... I had to pass my French 
and German oh, yes. translation exams. Right. Um, a friend of mine at the time got me a number of these in French and German, mm. and I knew the stories. And right. That helped immensely. So this sure. one I have here, Asterix Apud Gothos, is the, it's in Latin. Right. And Asterix Among the Goths. Among the Goths. Yeah. That's great. Very, very nice. Great stuff. Okay. Yep. So the third one. Yes. Uh, Robert Fagel's translation of the Iliad. I think okay. I have here... Um, Bad form. I don't even have the the one I have listed here, but I have his Odyssey here. Um, well, just you know, we'll just ask the viewer, the listener. Pretend Jeff's holding the Iliad. Pretend the Iliad is underneath my fingers. Here. Right, right. Um, wonderful translation, both the, the Iliad and the Odyssey. But um, what I'm recommending here is for, really for the stocking stuffer is that is Bernard Knox's introduction to the Iliad, mm. which I think is worth the price of admission alone. What about it do you like so much? I, the way he kind of breaks down. Uh, kind of the the, the worldview of Homer, okay, and uh, kind of understanding the gods, understanding uh, what makes a hero tick in mm-hmm. the Iliad, understanding the major themes. Um, I've never had, uh, I've never read anyone in such a short space hmm. break it down so succinctly. Um, that could be written for um, uh, an, an expert to someone picking up for the first time. Right, it, it's it's brilliant, um, and I, I wish he had done the the uh, introduction of the Odyssey. Uh, I think Fagels himself tackled it, which is fine. Okay, but uh, Fagels is no slouch. No, not at all. But the late Bernard Knox, well, yeah, one he's of my a, he's one, a top shelf, yes. top drawer scholar. One of my heroes in the yes. in the in the field. So I would say so too. Now I've been teaching a Greek class this semester. Mm-hmm. You know, not within the academy any longer because I'm not there. But uh, in one of my Zoom classes, we're reading uh, the Iliad, Book One. Oh, nice. We're about we are about on line three eighteen or so forth. Let me just test this idea, since we're taking kind of a leisurely stroll through the stocking stuffing yeah. here. I'm, I'm holding forth to this class, as I like to do, maintaining that the real crux of the issue in the Iliad, in the conflict between um, Agamemnon and Achilles, is the person who is naturally the best, Achilles, has to submit to the guy who's conventionally on top. Hmm. So Agamemnon is only on top by convention. Right. Right. Right, right, right. Uh, that's nurture. People have decided he's the boss, but he's really not great, right? The great yeah. one is Achilles. Yes. And so here's the conflict. So what yeah. do you think about that? Thesis? No, I, I, I buy that completely. It's not original with me by any stretch. But right. Is that... Um, is that what Knox is kind of talking about in some ways? I think he, yes. I mean, it's it's been a while since I, I've, I've um, kind of used that in class and, and taught his ideas. But I mean, he talks a lot about kind of that pecking order, mm-hmm. um, kind of the, the totem pole of, of heroism, and certainly kind of the abilities of Achilles in conflict with the the, the um, recognized clout that Agamemnon has. Right. right? And the, the sense is that everybody kind of recognizes that Agamemnon, is a, he's a buffoon. Right. He's a fool. And a bully. And a bully. He only gets his way by threat of force. Right. And it's only that because he comes from um, you know the city that he comes from. Yes. With its, with its wealth and with its numbers that he holds this position. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, so we're ready to move on to yes. number four. Number four, yes. Um, I don't have a visual aid for this one, okay? Because I don't listen to CDs or albums anymore. But you this, only listen to the digital kind. I do. Yeah, yeah. I have a, a subscription, and I don't use a, uh, anything that you need to put anything else into. Anymore. Did you get the year-end review? Year-end review for your subscription-based service? Uh, no. What are you, you talking do you about? use Spotify? Uh, no, I use. Uh, you're not going to like that. I use Apple Music. I don't dislike Apple Music. <laughs> I don't use it. Well, the Spotify mm-hmm. uh, on I Spotify. Yeah. Well, some people might be listening to um, this podcast on that platform. That's right. At the end of the year, they send you a big review of everything you've listened to. Your most listened oh. to. 
uh, your most listened to songs. It's very interesting. It is interesting. Yeah, I I, I, would, I would love to see that. I think it. Um, I, I I jump around from many different platforms, so I don't know how Do useful that would be. If I was just a Spotifyer, yeah, that would be more. That'd be more interesting. Um, we did we didn't Spotifyer. Is that how it goes? Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I think it said that I listen to mu- more music than 90% of the rest of the population. Is that right? Yes. Okay. That speaks well of you. I don't know. My number one album was uh, a Mozart piano concerto. Really? Yes. Th- that was the one you listened to the most? Apparently, yes. Now, do you use that, I didn't it, know that. Is that just like background music flaunting. when you're... When you're, uh, when you're like, it is often background music right. when I'm grading, when I'm translating. Sure. When I'm walking. Uh, most listened to um, artist, though, was Paul Gilbert. Okay, I, I I can see that. You can imagine. I know mm-hmm. I know that about you. Yes, that's that's excellent. All right. So but tell us about the album that I'm cho- yes. choosing to to for to stuff into our listener stocking is Synchronicity by the Police. All right, Synchronicity. Synchronicity. That's what I said. Okay, right. Synchronicity. Okay, isn't, right. isn't that what I said? It's, it used to make it sound like it's a like oh yeah you get to drive take the highway past Synchronicity <laughs> on your way to Cincinnati. All right. right. But this is uh, in my opinion one of the great albums of all time. I think is for a, a classicist. Well, let me get around to this. Okay. I think if, I think for anybody, uh, first of all, I was thinking. I think it's the only album that I had bought as an as vinyl, yes. as a cassette, as a CD, and listened eight to track. It. I did not have the eight track, right? So that's the the one gap there. Mm. But um, I bought this album several times. Okay, and and so it's. A, I think it's one of the great albums of all time. Have you have you listened to the places? I probably have. Yeah. I'm not much of an album guy. If okay. you could tell me the names of some of the well if, singles, I might know. Sure, them. like Every Breath You Take. Oh yeah, King of Pain. Yes. Yes. Right. So um, it's a great album, and so I think it's uh, it it would be a great gift for anybody. But it has classical references. Well, let's it. hear it. Right. So um, as the title might give away. Uh, it has lots of Jungian influence, oh. right? So the, the kind of the, the notion of synchronicity that um, loosely described that two things that seem to the to the naked eye to the to the to the um, uh, the untrained eye, the perhaps? untrained eye to the to the untrained ear might look like uh, have nothing to do with each other. Actually, if we were able to peek behind underneath the veil, we would see they were deeply connected hmm. in terms of the collective unconscious. So. At this point in the career of Sting, mm-hmm. lead singer, bass bass player for the Police, he was fascinated with these Jungian ideas and he huh. incorporated them into lots of these songs. So, um, lots of kind of mythical interpretation uh, in these songs. Um, the one of the songs on the album, which is called Synchronicity Two, is in my top five songs of all time. Okay, and kind of the conceit in the song is that um, it, it it talks about a family that's having lots of domestic trouble. The the, the father's uh, having a terrible time at work. There's trouble in the marriage. There's lots of screaming at the house. It's a Euripidean kind of family. Yes, very much. <clears throat> and it goes back and forth between these these horrors happening with his family and a monster that's being awakened from a, a Scottish lock that eventually kind of comes out of the water and darkens the door. Oh, this sounds terrible. It, it's it's a it's it's beautiful and horrific at the same time. Beautiful and horrific. Yes, I mean, the, the, how the, can that be? The music it's it's a it's a, well, it's kind of a beautifully tragic. Okay, and the music itself is really kind of angular and jagged and nervous and high tempoed. Um, it's it, I never fail to get an emotional reaction out of it when I listen to it. Is that why so, you listen to music? Uh, for a, a lot, of my favorite music is the stuff that that you know never fails to to move me when I go back and again to it time and time again. Hmm. There's Latin in this album. Okay, in let's the song hear it. Synchronicity One, uh, Sting uh, Sting sings of uh, the Spiritus Mundi, oh, the spirit yeah. of the world. Right. Um, and there's also a classical reference in the song um, wrapped around your finger. 
which yeah. was a minor hit. You'll be wrapped around my. Yeah, I'll be wrapped around your, your finger. finger. Yes, right. So there's a there's a great rhyme or a a horribly pretentious rhyme, depending on your point of view. Yeah. He, he sings, um, "You consider me the young apprentice, caught between Ascilla and Charybdis." Uh, so Charybdis is made to rhyme with apprentice. Apprentice, yeah, might be a little bit stretched. I think it's it's Sting kind of showing off his uh he's flexing a little bit. Yeah, but um that's a daring rhyme. It's just like, what is it? Um, Kilimanjaro rises like Olympus <laughs> above, the above the Serengeti. This is much better than that. <laughs> this is much better than that. Okay. Right. So, um, synchronicity is it? Oh, sorry, synchronicity is uh, itself a Greek word, of course. It is. Yes, yeah. time happening Synchronon. together, right? happening at the same mm-hmm. time, right? Yes. So, um, so lots of I think lots of classical sprinklings throughout this. Uh, right. I love the 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 Jungian flavor of of many of the songs, mm-hmm. um, and so it's uh, and it's just great. Well-crafted, uh, great pop music. Hmm. Yeah. All right, Jeff. So we're going to go on to number five. Number five. Let's number hear f- it. Yes. So this is a um, just an incredible guidebook uh, called Rome and Environs, uh, an archaeological guide by Filippo Corelli. An Italian, perhaps? Yes. Yes. Just a little bit. <laughs> right. So this is uh, translated from uh, original in, the, in, the, in Italian, um, and it's an excellent English translation. Okay. But this is, um, I mean, this is, it's a, on the one hand, it's a hardcore archaeological guide. It's absolutely mm. comprehensive. The kind of thing that Ken Bratt would really enjoy. Yes, absolutely. Hardcore. Hardcore, right? So it, it's divided up by um, uh, areas within Rome. Mm-hmm. Um, each chapter ends with an itinerary that you might want to walk through. And it's absolutely comprehensive in, in kind of detailing every every building so you get blueprints um he'll kind of walk you through each room you got your domus aurea oh yeah big you got time your compass martius yes you got your baths of caracalla you got your trans trans siberian t- orchestra t- <laughs> <laughs> oh the christmas theme yeah there nice we go job. right 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 you got your trans tiberine area right yeah and tons of stuff Tevere, that's what i'm trying to say and, and tons of stuff as i've gone through this that you you've never heard of i mean mm. he, he inv- every stone is 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 turned, turned. yes mm. Uh, and um, so it's, I mean, it's a hardcore comprehensive guidebook, but it's also extremely accessible. Okay. Um, and you can see my copy is all beat up. I've oh, taken beaten this, indeed. I've taken this everywhere. So, yeah. you know, um, a lot of people will talk about with, in terms of like classical archaeology, like the blue guide is being your. Right. right? Or Foders. Foders, right. Foders is a little more uh, touristy. It is. Yeah. Right. And this one is, I, it's somewhere between uh, Fyodor's and the Blue Guide, which I've often found a little bit too stuffy. No, I want to go this back. your guy. I want to go back to the itinerary uh, question for just a minute, but let's talk about Rick Steves for a minute. Oh, yeah. Okay. What do you think about Rick Steves? Oh, I mean, I have nothing against Rick Steves. Uh, it's funny how you started out yeah. there. <laughs> I have nothing against him. No, I mean, he's, a, he's kind of a cheese ball. Okay. He's kind of a, he's kind of a nerdy dude. Who, right. Who, you know. Globe trots and the first time I went to Rome, yeah, uh, it was 2004. Traveled with a family, uh, my wife and I, and our two kids at the time traveled with another family, and they were they were sold on Rick Steves. Oh yeah, oh yeah, they wanted us to Rick Steve the whole thing. There's kind of a cult of Rick Steves. Exactly, or at least there was. Right? Well, and yeah. you know, I have to say one piece of advice from old Richard Steves yeah. that I uh, didn't care for so much was when you pack. He said, "Don't pack too many undergarments." Oh really? Because you can wash them. Oh. Which okay. seems to me really kind of backwards advice, because the undergarments take up the least amount of space. Oh, okay. Right? Yeah. Pack lots and lots of pairs of jeans <laughs> and large, bulky sweatshirts. Right, yeah. So you're clambering through the forum with, you know, all of this heavy stuff, but don't take too much undergarments, because right. so right. you, you can wash them. You found that advice, not just not a little It's useful. the reverse. <laughs> 
Remember when we went to Rome? Yeah. In 2016? I do very well. Do you remember the t-shirt I gave you? Uh, I don't. Eat what? fresh. The oh, eat, subway, eat fresh. Of course, of course. Of yes, course. we went to the Salvation Army, Mrs. Noe and I, and what did we do? We picked out a number of $1 t-shirts. Yeah, that's the way to go. Exactly, because then what did we do after we got to Italy? Do you remember this also? Uh, I don't remember. Wear it a day and yeah. donate it to the hotel staff. That's right. That's exactly right. So that's a tip that Rick could use. It, yeah. it could really. Now, some might say wasteful, wasteful, mm. but uh, I don't know. It doesn't seem to me that yeah. shirt can be reused some way. Yeah. It costs more to wash. Yeah, exactly. Right? And a real nuisance. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was yeah. trying to follow the Aesop model, right? Yeah. You know the great story of Aesop in the army where everyone had to select something to carry? And Aesop selected the large uh, basket of bread. And people said, Aesop, you know, you're foolish. That's the heaviest item. But he was smarter than the rest. How was he smart? Well, because halfway through the journey, the basket was half as heavy. And by the end, it was empty because the guys were eating the bread. The you bread. see? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Then, so, then everybody, then they, they learned their lesson. They learned. So, yeah. Rick, don't pack too much <laughs> undergarments. Man. It's the smallest object. Wow. It sounds, you really have like an axe to grind with Rick. You like you've been waiting to kind of unload this. <laughs> no. Uh, so, Corelli. I, I, Corelli, me, yeah. Tell me about the itinerary. You said the end of each chapter mm-hmm. or the end of each section on a part of Rome, he yeah. gives you a suggested, a suggested itinerary? Yeah, exactly. So like if you want to walk and kind of hit the highlights, right? Okay. Then this idea that if you don't want to go, if you don't want to see every inch of the of the cloaca, cloaca maxima, like <laughs> I might, you might want to walk this way and hit these hit these highlights. You should yeah. tell the audience what cloaca maxima means, It's right? the really big sewer. Yes, it's the big stink. The big stink, <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah, the ancient Roman sewer, parts of which are still um, in use yeah. in, in, in Rome. Um, but yeah, Corelli, it's, it, 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 it threads that needle between, uh, I mean, it's not touristy at all. I mean, right. you, you have to love archaeology to get into this at all, but it's accessible. And he says, yeah, the best way to, to experience this is to walk Rome. Okay. And he's right. All right. Corelli. Corelli. University of California, 2007. Yes. We can throw all these up on the screen. Mm-hmm. Do we do show notes still? We, boy, we're talking about a backlog of work. <laughs> yeah. Talk about a cloaca maxima, right? I think, I think right? our last uh, show notes goes back to like episode 40. Yeah, it was so, 2011, right. something it's like that. It's one of those where I look at it and it's like, it's, it's too, almost too overwhelming right. to, to do that. Okay. But, but this would be a good show for show notes. You're right. Yeah. Number six. Number six. Taking it in a different direction. Right. I tried to, I want to include different media okay. in, in my suggestions. So this is the uh, kind of the cult classic 1981 Clash of the Titans movie, right? Which is a terrible movie. This right? is the claymation. The claymation is the stop action, uh, kind of Medusa's snaky hair. It's Harry Hamlin is kind of a beefcake Perseus, terrible actor. Um, so why would I recommend this film? Yes, I was just going well, to ask. Oh, wait well, a minute. I have a question. Yes, please. Uh, why would you recommend this film? Oh, <laughs> I recommend this film, not so much for the film itself, but I'm, I want to encourage our audience to to find their own Clash of the Titans. And what I mean by that oh, is... Oh, now, come on. No, no, listen, You're going to sneak listen, some liminality in here no, no, now? No, no, not at all. Okay. But this, uh, so this film, I saw it in the theater when I think right. was 10. Okay. My, my mom, uh, against all wisdom, took me to see this mm-hmm. film. All parental guidebooks, don't take your son to Clash of the Titans. Exactly. She took me... Wasn't there frontal nudity in that? There was... I, I think there was some a dorsal nudity. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we don't want to talk about that. <laughs> It's like a dolphin or something? <laughs> something like that. Yeah. All right. New dolphins everywhere. But as a 10-year-old kid, I loved it. Mm. I was entranced, and I was obsessed with Perseus and the story of Medusa. Mm. And so I often look back at this. This is one of those signposts in my life mm-hmm. where this really bad piece of pop culture 
turned me towards something that huh. I loved and continued to love. So if your mother had taken you to The Godfather, you know you would have ended up living a life of organized crime? It's possible. Okay. It's quite possible, right. An impressionable 10-year-old? Exactly right. Hmm. I mean, I was, you know, I'd be making my parents, oh, who's the cute one? <laughs> um, yeah, so, I, so I don't, I, I'm not necessarily recommending this movie. All right. But I think, you, I think um, sometimes we underestimate the power of even bad pop culture to turn people to turn folks on a on a on a decent path. Hmm. And this is one of those for me. We yeah. underestimate the power of bad pop culture to turn folks onto a decent path. Yes. Interesting. Do you buy that? It just kind of fell out of my mouth. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I I don't know. My relationship to pop culture is, shall we say, fraught. I I know this. Yeah. Exactly. I consume a lot of it. Yeah. And I have a, a sticky kind of mind, so things I'd rather not remember, I mm. can't forget. I see. But I then see. I realize, you know, things about pop starlets and people whose names I hear in the news, mm-hmm. I'd really rather not know that stuff. Yeah. But in order to survive as a person, you can't avoid all of it, really. It's a, it's inescapable. Correct. To, but uh, I'd rather not have my mind clogged up with, right. you know, whose album did this, because it's just kind of so... Uh, ephemeral and, gotcha. and vain. So you say, like, just so even the idea that there might be kind of a a, a needle in the haystack worth finding. Correct. It's it, all the other garbage kind of cancels it out. Yeah. Maybe if I were better at forgetting all the garbage. Gotcha. But it okay. sticks. That's yeah. the issue. Right. Right. If I if I go to the dentist and I read People magazine because I'm bored mm-hmm. and I can't just sit there and do nothing because mm-hmm. I have to be mentally active. Right. I can't forget that stuff. Right. So now you know what kind of haircut Scarlett Johansson has. Right. And, and I, I don't want to know that no, stuff. No, nobody needs to know that stuff. Right. But it's, yeah. uh, I don't, I don't dispute your main point. Yeah. I mean, that was, it was, I was, I was thinking out loud. Mm-hmm. For me, it was just, it was one of these moments in my childhood where I, I look back now and say, wow, that really had an impact on me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've seen that movie on, you know, in, you know, the later years in, on cable and watch, yeah. and it's terrible. And you think, how could I have ever loved that right. so much? Right, right. But to to um to kind of to see it through the eyes of that ten year old kid is like oh yeah this, mm. that it it sparked a, a curiosity. Let's go on right. to number seven. Number seven. This, this is has, a it's a little surprising. A little surprising, right? So this one is just um, Twizzlers. I recommend Twizzlers. <laughs> Uh, to, it would fit nice in the stocking. Well, yeah, to be so dramatic know, with the reach and the crinkle. It's a low-fat snack. <laughs> yeah, I got the jumbo pack here, but um, the reason the reason I, I, I well, this is really isn't the reason that I, I brought this to the table, um, so to speak. But there's there's kind of a story behind this. So whenever I would do road trips with the with the Winkle family when I was a kid. My mom would always buy a pack of Twizzlers okay. in the car. So this is a, nost- a nostalgia. It's a bit of nostalgia, right? right? And at one point, it was you know you know ten road, road trips under our belts and my brother finally asked him mom we weren't crazy about Twizzlers. I, I can tell you why it's fine i know why it is why 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 it shuts you up it, it, <laughs> right you ever try to talk while you're twizzling well my brother and i were very taciturn you were you taciturn yeah. oh, no, not, not talking not talking so it wasn't that well the explanation my mother gave us is oh it keeps you regular Oh no! Right. So, you know, travel can do a number on the GI. A cloaca maxima. Exactly again, right. Huh? So she says, "No, this 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 helps." And so that is not true. It, it probably is not. How, what's this? How many uh, grams of I don't fiber? Need, I'm not even going to look on the back because I don't want to know. <laughs> but my my mother claimed it had as you know a surprising source of fiber. Yeah, so, that Mrs. Winkle. Yeah, and I've continued this in my own family. We bring and Twizzlers on the road trips. Shall I ask about the? I don't know the digestive consequences. Uh, it, that's neither here nor there. Okay. But I give my kids the same explanation of why we. It's good for your it's digestion. Good, exactly right. So it's a tradition <laughs> that I carry on. Right? Uh, yes. Uh, can I ask a perhaps a personal question? Yes. 
Not not about digestion. Okay, please. Thank you. Um, I live here in West Michigan mm-hmm. amid, amid the Dutch. Yes. It's my experience that Dutch people love candy. They love candy. I think that's very true. I have extended yeah. family members who feel about Twizzlers the same way you do. And I, it can't be a coincidence. Mm. I think there's something to that. I mean, there's 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 that uh, weird Dutch love for, for black licorice. Which yes, I, that, I, with anise. Yes, which I've never gotten into. My mother-in-law loves it. Mm-hmm. She's as Dutch as they come. Mm. But I think you're right. There is something about Dutch people and their candy and their mints and their Well, and their and, sweets, right? They're oh, yeah. In, injecting horn pastries, after all. <laughs> exactly right, right. But the candy seems to be specific to certain cultures, and uh, it's not my background. So. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think that, that that's true. So hmm. maybe that's where the Twizzlers. Uh, All right. If you wanted to dig deep, that's there's something. Okay. There. Yeah. So now was that too personal? No, that's fine. So now we're gonna yeah. go from something um, sweet to something even sweeter. Sweeter, yes. Yeah, which uh, is number eight. The Oxford Classical Dictionary. Yeah. Right. I think I have a copy here. Ah, yeah. drum roll. Yeah. There right it is. Here. This is Simon uh, Hornblower. Yes. Well, it, this is yeah. This one is this version. This uh, edition is edited by John Roberts. John Roberts, yep. the Supreme Court Justice. Yeah, exactly right. In his spare time. In the news, much lately. <laughs> yes, very much. Um, so this is this is um, I think for anybody interested in classics, um, this is a a must have. Read it. Right. Read us an entry. Just open it at random. Right, okay. Open it at, at random. random. All right. right. All right, this is the... Um, Untwizzle and read us an entry. Yeah, the, uh, this is the uh, entry for the Jus uh, Latii. Jus Latii. The Latin rite refers primarily to the legal status of those Latins who, after 338 BC, shared the right of marriage and commerce with Romans. Uh, Latin settling in Rome acquired Roman citizenship, R- Roman citizenship and vice versa. Mm. That's pithy entry. Succinct. Yes. To the point... But the, the fact that it would have kind of a small entry on this on this, this little... That's pretty comprehensive. It's pretty comprehensive. This was a, a book when I was um, starting to prepare for my qualifying exams mm-hmm. in graduate school. Uh, my advisor said, keep a copy of this in the loo with you. <laughs> oh, yeah, have it there. Just a British individual? He was. Okay. Yes. And he's, he says, just keep it there in the loo. And when you're in there, pick it up. And, yes. And just thumb through it and just, and just read it. Let it soak in. Exactly. Yep. Loo is uh, actually short for lavatorium. Is that right? Yes, crazy, huh? How did that happen? I don't know, but huh? the British would come up with a word like a lavatorium and then shorten it to Lou. Of course they would. Right. Right. Yeah, OCD. You can't miss it. The yep. Oxford Classical Dictionary, fantastic. I have an older edition. You do. Uh, I inherited from someone. It's worth its weight in gold. There's Absolutely. no doubt. Yep. Number nine. Number nine, a little bit more lighthearted. Okay. This is um, uh, Larry Gonick, uh, the cartoonist and humorist. His series, The Cartoon History of the Universe. All right. So I have... I have... Uh, volume uh, volumes eight through thirteen here. Eight uh, through thirteen. Eight through thirteen. Kind this of medieval here. period. Where are we? This is it's from the springtime of China to the fall of Rome. Oh, that's a long time ago. It is springtime of China. When was that? Well, I, I don't even know. My my. So the Chinese fall history. of Rome. So the fall of Rome. Say four eighty. Uh-huh. I know people say Rome never fell, but come on, it's just shorthand for things changed a lot. Exactly. Yeah, I, that irritates me when people. It does yeah, too. Yeah, you know, Rome actually never fell. Yeah. Okay, so what happened to the Roman Empire? Yeah, wise guy. Right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> right. So um, this is great. I mean, this is. Um, I, I especially recommend volume one. Um, which has a lot of the the great Greek stuff in there, and so kind of his version of you know, Thermopylae and mm. Marathon, mm. And Socrates and Plato. It's just wonderful. It's laced with really kind of barbed, kind of sarcastic humor, but it's very well researched, and the drawings are great. Hmm. Yep. So um, excellent from, from child to adult. 
Well, let's. We got to get on to numbers ten and eleven here because yeah. we're a little overdue we for are. the break, aren't we, we? We got to get moving. Yeah. All right. So we can we can go through these quickly. We still have my twenty five. I know we got, got all of all forty of yours to get through. <laughs> uh, so number ten is, is something you might you might stuff into your digital stocking. Oh. Um, there's this guy uh, from Reading uh, University over there in the UK by the name of Matthew Nichols, who I've mm-hmm. gotten to know a little bit via email. You know Matthew Nichols? Well, just from email exchanges. We're right. both interested. And the same thing uh, right now is that uh, kind of digital recreations of, of ancient sites. Yeah, yeah. And this guy is fantastic. No, I think, uh, is it, who's the fellow down in um, Brisbane? Is that Roy? Roy? No, Ron. Ron, or our, Ron is our, our fan. Our, yes, down in Brisbane. Yes. He's going to listen. He's going to call us out and he's going to say, it's Redding. Redding, sorry. He's going to give us so much grief. Sorry. Like, like the railroads, you know, on yes, Monopoly. Yes, exactly right. You know. Right. B&O Railroad. B&O. <laughs> B-O. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You're right. Yeah. I think it's Redding. But okay. anyway. So I, 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 Ameri- av- I American all over I'm that just thing. trying yes. to avoid the wrath of Ron. Okay. Sorry, okay. sorry Ron. <laughs> right. Um, but he has been, for the last 10 years or so, okay. um, building a kind of a full-scale digital replica of, of Rome. That's incredible. It's, it, and it's amazing. And so um, we, we could put the we could the, put link? The, the, the link on the screen. We, we could put, put it put right it, here. Yeah. Um, right. And uh, check it out. And now, are you going to wear the virtual goggles and such? Is that coming at some point? It is. We that, can walk I mean, around Rome. That's kind of what he's he's aiming for ultimately. But it's now it's you know it's searchable. You can kind of, using your arrow keys, your mouse, you can mm. just kind of walk through Rome, and it's it's incredible the detail. Yeah. Of it, and he continues to kind of build it and build it and build it into bigger and into more uh, can, d- detailed uh, um, uh, space. Yeah. If if the camera pans over uh, Augustus, you can see him holding a little bit of Alexander's nose, for example. <laughs> oh man, if it only had that yes, much detail, yeah. connecting to another episode. Exactly. All right. Yeah. So no, he's a great guy, and he's doing. I think this is. Um, I love it when we have classes. Classes kind of riding waves of technology in interesting ways that have become mm-hmm. kind of uh, really useful teaching tools. Exactly. And this and is the, amazing. And number eleven. Number eleven, I threw in there. Um, Umberto Echoes in the mm, Name of the Rose. Great novel. I love a great kind of historical mystery it's a whodunit uh, it, yeah and i think it's a it's a it's a kind of a subgenre that's really hard to do well mm-hmm. right I, I can't like i can't stand dan brown at, at, mm. at the, um the well there goes Divinci having Code. him on as a guest yeah, I so, suppose. I don't, yeah, yeah. <laughs> sorry dan uh sorry ron if you're a dan brown fan um but this is one of the greats the name of the rose and i and the the, the classical hook is that it centers around um a copy of Aristotle's lost uh, work Treatise on, on comedy. On comedy, yeah, correct. So I don't recommend the movie version. I like the movie. It was okay, but I mean the, the book is fabulous. Okay, right. All right. Well, that's it. So those are eleven things to stuff in your stocking. Yes, for you or the classicist you love. That's right. All right. But now we got to get to the break. We got to get to the break. This episode of Ad Nauseam is brought to you by Hackett Publishing with offices Jeff in Cambridge, Massachusetts and Indianapolis, Indiana. Hackett has been providing wonderful classical resources to the reading public for more than 40 years. More than 40 years, right? They've been with us, with this show from the very beginning. More than a year. More than a year. Right. Uh, they believed in us. They gave us a shot and they're still with us. They believed in us when nobody knew about us. That's exactly right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we, we're incredibly thankful to them. Absolutely. Um, I mean, I know both of us have used a lot of their translations uh, in our personal libraries and in the classroom. Absolutely. Yeah. 
It's they a, sent us some great copies of Ovid's Metamorphoses. Yeah. The uh, the Ambrose and the Lombardo. Yep. Fantastic. Yep. So they've they've grown my own personal library. Yes. And um, their website is really interesting. I just noticed recently they're starting to host uh, virtual author meets. Right. And so um, ways to kind of get to, get to know kind of behind the scenes stuff from a lot of their translators. And they have a massive catalog. Massive. Right. Everything you could want in the classics. Language study. They've got the Lingua Latina per se illustrata. The fantastic translations. Latin. American studies, uh, Asian studies, yep. Um, what Old Norse, pretty much everything. Everything, it's great. So, listener, yeah. So, if uh, you want to take advantage of our special offer, you go mm-hmm. to hackettpublishing.com. H-A-C-K-E-T-T. We're going to put it up on the screen here. Yep. Uh, find the books that you want, slip them into your grocery bag on screen, and then what? What's the code they type? There's in? a code. It's A N, yes. which is ad nauseum two zero two one A N two zero two one, and that will get you twenty percent off. Anything you order. Right. And free shipping. And free shipping. And if you're listening to this episode when the year turns over, right, which is yes. going to happen very soon, we're going to have another coupon code, which we don't want to give it away, but it's going to be AN and then the four digits of the new year. Of the new year. Right. So keep it, a little mystery in there. Right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> very little Very mystery. mystical. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So uh, uh, don't hesitate. Check it out. That's right. Jeff, who else is bringing this episode? Uh, Ratio Coffee. Ratio Coffee. Yes. So Mark Helwig and his crack team way out there in Portland, Oregon, I believe, um, where a lot of good coffee comes from. That's true. A lot of good things come out of Portland. Now, Portland's been in the news a lot lately, but later on in this episode, when we get around to my stuffing, uh, stocking stuffers. Oh, there's there's Portland thing There's another Portland thing coming up. Excellent. Excellent. Yes. Well, uh, Ratio Coffee, Mm -hmm. uh, they uh, have these excellent coffee machines. Uh, I have the Ratio 6. You have the Ratio 8. I do. Uh, They are, they're more than machines. They're works of art. Absolutely. They have a sleek, modern aesthetic. Mm -hmm. Everything is neat and tight. No extraneous or Rococo features. No. Just thin, sharp lines. Yeah, it's very attractive. I've got the the, the stainless steel uh, a six with its weighty carafe. You could put plutonium in there. Absolutely. Somebody said once. And you've got is it is it oyster? Mine is an oyster, which matches my cabinets. I got to pick the color. Mark oh, said, man. "Hey, you want a ratio eight? This was even before we were podcasting. Wow, so I'll take one of those. Yeah, let's do it. Man. And uh, put it on the counter there. Uh, oyster with walnut accents. I had a great pot of coffee this morning. Yeah, as as did I. Every mm-hmm. morning, I love coming down, hitting that button. It goes through its its bloom. It gets, goes through the brew. And it gets to the ready stage. Yep, the LED lights are like magic. Yep, and I know that I'm in, in, uh, in uh, there's a great cup of coffee waiting for me. Automatic pour-over technology. So mm-hmm. better than you would get at some cafe and a uh, convenience right in your own home. That's right. So we have a great coupon code. If you are a listener or a viewer, go to Racial Coffee, R-A-T-I-O Coffee.com, enter coupon code A-N-C-O, yes. and you'll get 15% off the six or the eight. Either of them. Yep. And if you continue listening to the episode, we're going to sneak in a little coffee uh, reference later. Yes. And it's going to be a four-digit number that you're going to want to visit RacialCoffee.com slash A-N-C-O, so that you can be entered to win a free... Ratio six. That's right. Yes. Enter the new year not drinking any more bilge water. This is huge. Keep keep listening. All right, Dave, as we get back into it, we've got to get to your list of 67 things. 67 things. How long are we going to be here? Oh, my goodness. It's going to be a long night. Right. So what's what's number one on your list? Number one, I don't actually have a copy of the book, but I have a little bit of text to read. Mine are are a lot of books. A lot of books? Yours turned out to be a lot of books, too, as it it happens. But, But, I mean, I mean... 
what I mean, what we're readers. The, we're readers, of course. Exactly right. These are not going to fit in your stocking, but <laughs> I read a very interesting book this past year in uh, 2021. It's called Saint Cyril of Alexandria and the Christological Controversy. Now it sounds like a murder mystery. It does. Yes, it does. Actually, it is kind of a whodunit. It was written by a pretty well-known scholar, John Anthony McGuckin. Okay, came out in 2010. It went through a reprint. And it tells the story, this actually is Christmas-themed, it tells the really fascinating story of the conflict between Cyril of Alexandria and Nestorius. Okay. And the question is, who is Jesus Christ? Uh, Is he partly human and partly divine, like, say, Hercules? Uh, Is he one of several sons of God? Is he the sole son of God? And uh, does he have a fully human nature, fully divine nature? I mean, these are Christmas elements, yeah. right? Now, does and, this uh, kind of anticipate the kind of the filioque controversy down the um, line? Or? It anticipates it in the sense that it's a very significant theological controversy, but it's dealing with a different, uh, it's dealing with a, a different controversy, okay. really. And it came to a head in 431 at the Council of Ephesus. And uh, this guy, Cyril, what a brilliant theologian. And uh, what he had to do was he had to recalibrate a lot of Greek terminology that they were using to try to describe the persons of the Trinity. So you had terms like hypostasis and usia, right? And these terms, and uh, taprosopon, these are terms that describe the different persons of the Trinity. And, you know, they were working in two languages and with 300 years of tradition. Mm. So which Greek term is equivalent to which Latin term? And is there some kind of error uh, being sneaked in underneath a, a different Latin term like persona? What what exactly uh, is the relationship here? So I found this an absolutely brilliant uh, It sounds like this reading. could be an episode. I would like to make it one, yeah. actually. It would take a bit of work because not only are the ideas uh, inherently complicated, um, but uh, I guess... They're also inherently complicated. (laughs) It would take a lot of work uh, to present it. Yeah. It's really a brilliant book. I'd like to read just a couple quick quotes. Please. Uh, This is actually from page one. So Cyril of Alexandria was not only one of the finest Christian theologians of his day, he also stands out in the ranks of the greatest patristic writers of all generations as perhaps the most powerful exponent of Christology the church has known. And after Athanasius, the writer who has had the greatest historical influence on the articulation of this most central and seminal aspect of Christian doctrine. Wow. That, I mean, those, that's, that's, that's high praise. That's really high praise. Right. Yep. And, and it, it, um, it's, it's shocking that um, Cyril isn't more of a, kind of a household name. He's or not. In, in, even, in, even in Christian circles. No, right? he's so, hardly known. Yeah. Uh, but so important to explaining that uh, Jesus Christ is 100% God, 100% man, and the two natures were um, inseparably joined. Yeah. So it centers around the question of theotokos. Did Mary give birth to God? And Cyril said, yes, she gave birth to God, not a human being that became God or mm. was was treated like God, she actually gave birth to God. And his, his rival, who's, who's the rival? Nestorius. Nestorius, right. what, was, what was his kind well, of Well, you've line? got the Nestorians and the Eutychians, right? And these are the, the opposite sides of the Christological error, right? One saying that, uh, you know, Jesus is a fully divine nature, but some kind of a subordinated or, or less than fully human nature. Yeah. And the other guilty of the reverse error. And it was, you know, a lot of conflict and... Um, struggle to get to, 
you know, what has come to be uh, the orthodox position. Did it come to fisticuffs? It did not, Isn't but it? in some places, almost. <laughs> Cyril was quite a great theologian. One other just uh, really uh, quick quote from this book that um, uh, he was unique. Let me see if I can find here the, the quote. Uh, he was almost unique among Greek fathers. This is page four for having even a little knowledge of the Latin tradition. And if he was not bilingual himself, he certainly saw to it as a scholarly ambition. I'm sorry, a scholarly archbishop that the important materials he sent uh, to Rome for Pope Celestine were quickly and accurately translated into Latin before they left his hometown of Alexandria. He cites Cyprian and Ambrose. So two Latin fathers yeah. as his authorities. So that's one of the really interesting things about the book, is that this is the time when the empire is kind of starting to split along linguistic lines. Right. Everyone in the West is speaking Latin. Everyone in the East is speaking Greek. Exactly. Eventually, the church splits, right? Cyril's at that hinge moment. Gotcha. Fascinating. Uh, what do you got for number two? Number two. This is the Bantam New College Latin and English Dictionary. What's wrong with the old one? <laughs> It was a bantamweight, let me tell you. So this is by the great scholar John C. Troutman, okay. whom we call Troutveer. Troutveer. Troutveer? Troutman. Troutveer. Oh, right, okay. right. Yeah. Oh, gotcha. It's a yeah, Latin yeah. word for man, yeah. right? Uh, so I started using this in grad school. I don't know if it was maybe the, the fourth edition or something. This is such an incredible bargain as a Latin dictionary. Okay. I think it cost five ninety nine. I, wow. I went through three of these. I wore out three of them. And, um, you know, this is probably the humble brag, right? Yep. But, once I got to the third one, I didn't really need it as much because I had just toiled over it, you know, for so long. But it, it was no longer a crutch. Exactly. Yes. yes nice connection. Yes. It is such an amazingly idiomatic dictionary. Now, so, what, now what, explain that. What do you mean by that? Well, the, the, uh, I'm going to give some examples okay. here from, you know, from the actual text. But if you're the kind of person who uh, wants to translate Latin words by derivatives, like octus must mean act. Right. And a word like de rewo de riware to flow down from, you want to translate it as derive. Mm. Right. Or sileo, mm -hmm. silera, to be quiet. You want to translate it as silent. Mm -hmm. This dictionary will break you of that bad habit. Gotcha. gotcha. Because he doesn't just go for derivative translations, he mm. actually gets at the heart of what the word means. Now, was this recommended to you, or did you just pick it up? I think I remember? probably bought it. Maybe it was recommended by a grad school professor, but I think I maybe got it for the price. It's five ninety nine. That's <laughs> Paperback. hard to resist. <laughs> but it's a gold mine. Yeah. It's a gold mine. So here, let me give just a couple examples. Okay. Uh, I just picked a page at random, and um, here's the entry on Octium. So Octium, Octii, and then a little N for neuter. A promontory in Epirus. Okay, mm -hmm. so assumes a little bit of knowledge, yes. right? The meaning of the word promontory, so it's not dumbing it down, mm -hmm. uh, but also assumes a little knowledge of Epirus, right? So right. you go to your OCD, your yeah. John Roberts. Exactly right. But then it gives a very brief and pithy description, the place where Octavian defeated Antony and Cleopatra in 31 BC. Yes, um, uh, which you and I... Went we past, visited there. Yes, That's right. In, uh, in 2011. I have a yeah. blurry picture from the bus. <laughs> uh, right after that, though, it, there is a fairly rare word that you'd be surprised to find in a 599 dictionary. Yeah, what, what do we got there? Octiuncula. That's a, sh uh, a short law court speech. Yes, a short law court speech. An octiuncula. So you got the derivative. He divides all the words up with little dots and so forth. So you can see uh, the words formation. Yeah. And then a little further down, we have Octuariolum or Octuariolum, a small, fast boat. 
So these are not the most common words, but uh, it's printed on fairly thin, inexpensive paper. Yeah. Packed with lots of good stuff. Yeah. Uh, and then right after that, we have octum, uh, act, deed, transaction. Transaction. That's a good, sophisticated word uh, to represent the word octum. Yeah. And uh, so I love this dictionary. This is great. This now, is great. Now, a yeah. little bit of a riddle. Uh, the back of the dictionary, the blurb, there is a, a kind of an error. It's not Troutman's error. I think it's the person who designed the back cover. Yeah. So Bantam, if you're listening, uh, check out the blurb of the back because there is an error in there that hardly anybody notices. But I spotted it, and it's not an error in the representation of the words. It's an error in how they are ordered. Oh, okay. Mm. Have you you haven't given them a call yet? No, no, no. <laughs> they don't. They don't want to hear from me. This is still this book is still in print. Yes. Oh, yeah. 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 Five ninety nine on Amazon. Man. It's, it's a it's a maybe six ninety nine, but yeah, uh, it's a fantastic bargain. It will break you of the habit of translating in a stilted fashion without sacrificing accuracy. Fantastic. Yeah, it's fantastic. Number three. Number three. Anything written by the late J. N. D. Kelly. Now, come on. Anything. Well, anything mm. that I've read thus far. All right. First uh, of all, this guy's too many initials. <laughs> That's a little suspect. <laughs> He's so. A He's, little sketch. A little sketch, yeah. J.N.D. Kelly. I don't know what it stands for. I, yeah. John but something. You, you're, a, you're a fan. Huge fan. Okay. Tell us so why. So in the past couple of years, I have read his classic early Christian doctrines, mm -hmm. 1977. Really brilliant overview of how our early Christian doctrines developed. Uh, and then I read his uh, Golden Mouth, the story of John Chrysostom. Mm. This was published in 19... Uh, let's see, 1995. You got that one with you there? I do. It looks yeah. just like this. Golden Mouth, story of John Chrysostom. I'd like to read a little bit of a quote. Yes. This is quite a fascinating little bit. This is from page number 210. So uh, John Chrysostom, a hero of mine, Greek uh, theologian, preacher, uh, churchman, monk, ascetic, you name it, he did it. Uh, he got into a, quite a bit of a trouble at the end of his life, and he actually was um, excommunicated and then exiled sent packing, brought back because he was so popular, and then exiled a second time, oh, man. and on that second exile, he died. Okay. All this revolves around something called the Synod of the Oak. Okay. Isn't that, doesn't that sound kind of fascinating? The Synod of the Oak. Yeah. Synod of the yeah, Oak. That That's very, the sequel right there. right. So there was another fellow named Epiphanius. Uh, Epiphanius was the expert, uh, 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 he was a um, heresy hunter, and mm. our former colleague, Young Kim, Yes. He's a world expert. He was a, in, he was a Cypriot, right? That's right. Yeah. In this fellow uh, Epiphanius, mm -hmm. Epiphanius of uh, Cyprus or yep. Salamis. So uh, when Epiphanius left Constantinople around the time of this controversy, he, quote, sent John, that's our guy, Chrysostom, a note expressing the unkindly wish, I hope you will no longer, you will be no longer a bishop when you die. <laughs> wow. In other words, I hope you get kicked out yes. before you die. <laughs> John's repost was, before you die, John's repost was, so it was said, equally unfriendly, and I hope you will not set foot in your city again. Man. So I hope you don't get to sail home successfully, die at sea. Man, they're throwing it down. Right. Well, yeah. you know, uh, Kelly says, we need not take the anecdote literally, but it illustrates the intense rancor which public opinion assumed must exist between the two men. Mm. Because at mm. that time, they were theological uh, opponents. Yeah. Interesting fact, though, to connect it to the previous book, the McGuckin book, mm -hmm. Cyril of Alexandria was on the wrong side of that. He actually was a critic of John Chrysostom 
because his uncle, uh, Cyril's uncle, was the Bishop of Alexandria. Oh. And later Cyril had to say, well, you know, I guess I was wrong about that. Because within 20 years, Chrysostom's reputation was completely resuscitated. Yeah. He went from goat to hero, you know, skunk to hero yeah. within 20 years. Yeah. And became one of the most important Greek fathers. I love this idea, this this notion that he was called back from exile because he was so popular. Mm-hmm. Right. Only to be exiled again. Yes. Well, the yeah. people loved him and he got himself in trouble because he was criticizing the royal family. He used to preach these sermons against excessive luxury. Mm-hmm. And the queen, Eudoxia, said that the queen mother, the empress, Eudoxia, said, he's talking about me. He's talking about we just want to go to church and hear him preach with his great oratory. And mm-hmm. he would just uh, lay into the rich and say, you know, you got too much. These people are starving. Yeah. And so they found a way to... Um, to, to him get out. him, yeah, yeah, to push him out. So, yeah. so then uh, just a couple other quick ones from Kelly is uh, the Athanasian Creed. This is also a whodunit. Mm. Nobody knows who wrote this. What? I don't, I don't mean the Kelly book. Oh, nobody knows who, who wrote, wrote the, the Athanasian, Athanasian Creed. Right. So not Athanasius? No, oh. no, no. Way too late. It okay. could be uh, Rufinus of Aquileia. He's one of the suspects. Uh, so Kelly goes through all of the arguments. He says that. Uh, the Latin of the creed shows some, you know, late Latin elements creeping in. Mm. It's not classical. Yeah. He probably says it's from Southern Gaul, but still nobody knows who the author was. Does he suggest someone or does he just... I'm not going to give it away. Oh, right. You got to read the book. It wasn't the butler who wrote the Athanasian <laughs> Creed. I'll tell you that. All right, all right. But it is a gripping story. It's a fascinating, and I really enjoyed it. Last one. Yep. Uh, this will be in episode two. Okay. So this is his biography of St. Jerome, hmm. uh, also by J.N.D. Kelly. Now, you know, I am not a big fan of Jerome. Right. I have, uh, I've run him down a number of times, which is probably not very kind of me, right? Because yeah. I have this official, you know, uh, policy of being kind to the dead. Yeah. I make an exception for Jerome, I suppose. Uh, but one really interesting element in here is the controversy between Jerome and Augustine. Okay. So they wrote e- each other um, a number of letters, and Augustine was the younger man. He was always trying to make friends with Jerome and uh, trying to reach some kind of rapprochement. Right. So interesting little fact. Jerome's translating the Bible from Hebrew into Latin. Mm-hmm. Augustine writes him a letter and says, you shouldn't do that. Let's stick with the Septuagint. Let's stick with the, the translation of the Bible that comes from the Greek Septuagint. Okay. Because that's what all the people know. And Jerome said, no, 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 no. My version from the Hebrew is going to be much more accurate. Hmm. Eventually, Augustine said, yeah, you know, you're right. I, I was wrong on that. Your version translated from the Hebrew, not from the Greek, is going to be a better version. And uh, I was just off on that. However... Uh, Jerome wrote a commentary on the book of Galatians. Okay. And in that, he said that the the conflict between Peter and Paul, where Paul denounces Peter publicly, Jerome says, they just staged that. None of that was real. They just put that... Because well, the, the two main apostles could never actually argue about doctrine, mm. was Jerome's idea. They just pretended to argue. So some kind of publicity stunt? Yeah, well, to teach the church about conflict. Okay. And Augustine just very delic- delicately... And tactfully, but uh, strongly said, you're off the, you know, you're off your rocker. Yeah. 
This has to be an actual conflict. Otherwise, the apostles are, you know, they're lying. They're frauds. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, boy, Jerome did not like that. Well, Jerome didn't seem to like, like a lot of anything. He's a, a grumpy guy. <laughs> yeah. So you think I, you'd yeah, think I would see, like him, exactly. right? I'd be drawn to the grumpy guy. Right, but no. No, no it's no. hard for me to warm up to Jerome. Yeah. Uh, but this Kelly book, brilliant. Very, All right. Very cool. What's, what's next? Number four. Yes. Also a book. Okay, this is uh, The Art of Teaching mm -hmm. by, uh, is this your favorite Gilbert? This is one of my favorite Gilberts. Yes. Gilbert Hyatt. Okay. The Art of Teaching, and we got to do an episode on this as well. All 1950. Right. Now, I'm not a student of pedagogy. You never took education classes either. Nope. How do they let us in the classroom when we've never studied education? I have no idea. All I've studied is the things I'm supposed to teach. Right. Do you ever feel like a fraud? Yes. Ever? <laughs> Do I ever not feel like a fraud is the question. So The Art of Teaching. I read this book. I believe Karen Green recommended it to me. And Gilbert, or Gil, as I call him, mm -hmm. says you need three things to be a good, uh, good teacher. Mm -hmm. You need memory, kindness, and willpower. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Memory. Because Hyatt says to be a good teacher, you have to have a comprehensive knowledge of your subject. Yeah. Okay. Develop a good memory. Yes. Then he says kindness. You have to actually love your students and love the content. Mm -hmm. well, I'm one for two there. <laughs> I won't tell you which one. But then he says you need willpower, willpower. also. Where, now, where does this come in? How does that Well, work? the willpower is you have to love the students and the subject so much that you will supply motivation when they don't have it. Ah, okay. And you will never let your own motivation flag. Wow, okay. Never be a fraud. In other words, when you go into the classroom, if you don't love what you're doing, you got to pause and say... Uh, there's something wrong with me. I got yeah. to I got to really think this is valuable. Yes. And that kind of willpower allows you to avoid a lot of the, you know, can I have extra credit? And, mm. uh, you know, the kind of things that would normally bring you down. You just got to push through them. Yeah. You know, I used this in a job interview once. You did. Yes. How'd that go? Oh, I got offered the job. If oh, you can believe that's it. That's awesome. Right? Do you the, think it was? You think it was Gil? Coming I to the don't rescue? know what it was, yeah. but uh, I actually never worked at this place. Oh, but I did get offered the job, and the dean said, "You know, how do you approach teaching?" And I said, well, let me tell you about Gilbert Hyatt, memory, kindness, and willpower. And she looked at me and said, willpower? Are you crazy? I said, no, just hear me out. And I explained it and yeah. meh, got offered the job. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. that's that's highly recommended. Definitely. Yeah. Sounds, Number, like, sounds like a great episode. We got to do Oh, yeah. That. I yep. think we'd enjoy that. Number five. Number five? Candles. Just candles? Candles. Yeah. I like candles. Okay. I like to have something lit while I'm studying. I like the flicker, the warm glow. What about uh, do, you, do you? How about the uh, like the scented candles? I yes. Do you have a favorite scent? I don't know. Kind of a guilty pleasure is yes. the scented candles. I have to admit, <laughs> I can't quite break down and go Yankee. Uh, those are a little too steep for a classicist's budget. I hear you. Not sure they'll fit in a stocking. They're huge. They're huge. But those are great candles. You yeah. know, I go for the one wick, the two, maybe even the three wick. Yeah. Uh, I like the scented ones. Oftentimes, it's something a little autumnal. Yeah. yeah fall yeah. spice. I something gotcha. like that. I, gotcha. um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't mind the vanillas. Yeah. Right? Uh, lately, it's been kind of beach themed. Really? Yeah. In, in, in the fall, winter here? Bahama breeze, things like that. <laughs> I'm not making this up. It smells like it smells like the beach. Smells well, like, you know, like uh, you see, salty, it's, briny. It's, just, it's, it's the life of isolated labor. Right. Okay. If, if you're laboring in isolation, mm -hmm. you know, my translating and writing work and such, yeah. it's isolated. So I got to have little things like the music, you know, some kind of uh, sensory 
um, stimulation or distraction to keep the mind focused. I got you. That's got, that's all. I got you. Excellent. Hey, should we slip in that that coffee? Oh yeah, information right that. here. Okay. So if our listeners. Go to, what's the website again? It's uh, racialcoffee.com slash A-N-C-O. A-N-C-O. And for the, the, the contest to win the ratio six, if they, if they type in uh, six, five, six, seven. That's correct. Yep. And you put in your information there, you will be registered uh, for, the, for the grand prize. Six, five, six, seven. Yes. All right, Dave, number six. Number six is another book. Okay. This is written by my friend Charles Hill, uh, Oxford, 2012. Uh, It's another church history, you know, New Testament kind of theme. I'm not going to talk much about it, but the title is Who Chose the Gospels? Probing the Great Gospel Conspiracy. So this is 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 uh, kind of a, how did the books uh, yes. in the New Testament find their way into the New Testament? The four in particular, the Gospels. The Gospels, right, okay. The okay. first four. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he's taking aim at the very well-known uh, New, New Testament scholar, Bart Ehrman. Okay. Uh, and he's taking aim at the idea, which he says, I think persuasively, is false, that... Um, the Gospels were chosen by a committee of the church against the will of the congregations. And just, it's the Dan Brown kind of idea. Yeah, I was just and, thinking that. And yeah. just foisted it on everybody else. Right. And his basic thesis is, look, from the very earliest times of the church, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were, in fact, based on the best scholarship, were widely accepted. It's not that there were no competitors. Mm-hmm. It's just that the story, which has been so popular the last 30 years, that it's all just a power play, uh, you know, to force orthodoxy on unwilling people. Right. And then these other gospels, like the Gospel of Thomas, were kind right. of... Were kind of you know, Unfairly kicked to just, the side. D- yes, exactly. Dismissed. Yeah. Yep. Hill says, that's just not good scholarship. Yeah. It's, it's implausible. It's a quick read. It's really well written. I liked it. That sounds great. Yep. Yeah. Number seven? Number seven. Yeah. Uh, my my favorite Gilbert musician. This is Paul Gilbert. Paul Gilbert, the, yes, uh, the guitar player extraordinaire. Right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I like so much of his uh, instrumental stuff. He used to play for um, Mr. Big, Mr. Big Racer X. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he has a new album. I like to listen to it on Spotify. It's called Werewolves of Portland. <laughs> Paul's a clever guy. He's a funny guy. Very funny guy. Yes. Yeah. Quirky. I love watching. I like watching some of his like tutorials on YouTube. Yes. And just his interactions with the audience. He's hysterical. Yes. He doesn't yeah. take himself seriously. He no. is just such a phenomenal musician, but without any pretension. Yeah. And I, I love that about him too. I think he had a, an album not so long ago. It was like, it was like Get Off My Lawn or yes, something. Yes. Get, like, get Out of My Yard. Get Out of My Yard. That's, That's right. what it was. That's get right. Out of My Yard. Yeah. Hey, you kids, get out of my yard. But I love this Werewolves of Portland. Werewolves of Portland. There's my, the Portland. Uh, yes, exactly. Uh, yes, okay. My favorite track on the on the uh, on the album is it's impossible to have an argument about pie. <laughs> yeah, my daughter time. and I listen to that. It's impossible to have an argument about. No, is this pie. an instrumental track? Or does it's it all lyrics? instrumental, okay. but he has written some lyrics that he doesn't sing, hmm. and then you so you can play them in your mind. Yeah. Kind of, it's a lot of fun. Right? Do you think that's true? Is it impossible to have an argument? About I pie? tried to pick an argument with Paul about pie. Yeah, uh, he hasn't responded yet. Okay, so I've tried. We'll see. Yeah, I said uh, you know pumpkin waste of crust. Mm. Yeah, apple good. Um, see, yeah. I did it. There's he, an argument. He's right arguing, there. but he's, maybe he's not. He's not taking. He's it up, not though. taking the bait. No, oh, very interesting. Yeah, I love. I love Gilbert too. Yeah, yeah. Number eight. No, uh, more music here. Yes, more music. Mm-hmm. Any uh, any Haydn piano sonatas? Really, I what, love what Haydn. Is it, what is it about Haydn that you like? Uh, the, just the beauty of the melody, endless creativity. Hmm. I listen to a lot of Haydn. So mostly Haydn, a little Bach, some Beethoven and Mozart, but Haydn and uh, instrumental guitar music. Okay. Uh, anything that has virtuosity, that's highly structured, uh, up-tempo, and just 
gorgeous melody. Yeah. But these piano sonatas, especially um, the one in A flat major. Okay. Hoboken number sixteen. Hoboken is the catalog and the guy that you know cataloged all of Haydn's works. It's just divine. The music is phenomenal. What's the? Can you ballpark his dates? Like when, when was Haydn? Uh, I'm probably going to get it wrong, but late. Uh, late 18th century, I'm going to say around, I could have just looked it up, but uh, say 1760 to 1820. So he overlapped with Mozart. Mozart and then Beethoven a little yeah, bit, so maybe. He yeah. lived at the end of Bach's life and at the beginning or middle of Mozart and Beethoven's lives. Okay. Uh, I just, I can't say enough good about uh, Haydn. Just endlessly inventive as a musician. So that which he does, he show up in your end of the year spot of the spot. Absolutely. Yeah. He's number two. Number two. Yeah. I just, I love Haydn. Uh, Reginald Foster you know, the, uh, the late Latinist said yeah. uh, that if, I think he said, if, if Haydn and Cicero are not in heaven, he's not going. <laughs> really? Yeah. Well, <laughs> I can't go that far, but Haydn's music is divine. Uh, it's just incredibly beautiful. Fantastic. And number nine. Number nine. What do we got? Uh, also for your classicist, African violets. Af- the, the flower. Yeah. What, what about that? What about you got these? something against it? No, I have some in my house. Okay. Yes. Interesting story. And okay. I'm going to read here from uh, this website, Architesica. Okay. dot com architesica uh, it's in the genus streptocarpus see we got some uh, latin in there and the species is streptocarpus yoananthus okay which will be some greek as we'll see in a minute so it was discovered in 1892 by the baron walter von saint paul the german governor of a part of tanzania von saint paul found the plant growing among shaded rocky ledges in the usambara mountains he immediately sent seeds of his Usambara violet to his father in Germany. In Germany, the plant acquired a botanical name, which it still bears today, Sampolia, hmm. named after the Baron von St. Paul, mm-hmm. right? The African violet was brought to uh, North America by a California firm in 1926, so it hasn't been here very long. They imported seeds from German and British greenhouses that had specialized in the plants. So this guy... Baron von St. Paul, stationed uh, by the German East Africa Company in Zanzibar in 1891, and uh, he was out walking, and he noticed this lovely plant. And he immediately sent seeds back to his dad. Yeah. Yeah. Who uh, then became named after him. So the last part here, the species name, Yoanantha, is derived from the Greek ion, which means violet, Mm -hmm. and anthos, of course, which means flower. Flower. So Sampolia Yoanantha. And I love African violets. They are so beautiful. Yeah, I would agree with that. Just gorgeous. And they're very uh, easy to take care of. Right, right. Fantastic. Is, so you got more? Is that it? That's it? That's it? We we took some time on the books. We raced through the other items. We got Yeah, exactly. Um, but that, that was a lot of fun. That was fun. That, so stuff my stocking, right? Yep, stuff my stocking. Haydn, Paul Gilbert. Pilger. J&D Kelly. Yep. Uh, some candles. Yeah, exactly. And throw in some African violets. And you? Uh, I, I, you, uh, you got your archaeological guides. Right. You got some cartoons with your asterisk and your Larry Gonick. That's right. Um, Clash of the Titans. Clash of the Titans. You're never going to go wrong spinning the police's classic synchronicity. Synchronicity. And <laughs> shove some Twizzlers in there. Exactly. Stuff your face. All right. There you got it. Right. Well, we got to get out of here. We do. But before that, okay. Dave, could you tell us something about the Moss Method? Oh, right. Because this, this episode is also brought to you. By, the, the yes. So the yeah. Moss Method is a program I've developed to take you from neophyte to erudite. So each module uh, starts out with reading actual Greek. I explain all through these whiteboard videos. I explain all of the words, the phrases, the clauses, the whole nine yards. But it's fun because you're reading actual connected prose the very first day. Fascinating, interesting stories with me as your psychopompas. 
your 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 soul guide. Your soul guide. Yeah. I take you down into the underbelly of Greek and bring you back with more confidence and competence than you could ever so imagine. So your students could undergo a catabasis, but not but but fear not. But fear not. Yeah. That's right. Fantastic. Yeah. So go to mossmethod.com, mm-hmm. please. Check it out. And if they sign up, they get one hour per week with me and other Greek students around the world in our Moss Method Zoom office hours. You live. That's me, the yep. flanky. Yep. Yeah, the flanky. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> the Moffis hours. Well, let's thank some people, Jeff, and wrap this up. Yes, yeah, so we got to thank Mishka, as always, our wonderful engineer who puts this all together. Mm-hmm. Now doing a, kind of double duty with doing the, the video, kind yes. of editing the video. Plus, she uh, does Latin per diem work for me. Right. We got to thank our, 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 our the guy behind the filming. The our, videographer. Uh, uh, Agricola. Yeah, should we call him Agricola? Yeah, we can call him Agricola. All right. Right. Our, our, our mystery man. Yes. Uh, thanks to uh, Ken Tamplin, Scott Vinzen for the great music. Yeah, although they're not on this episode. Oh, that's right. We have special got, music. Yeah, we have Ken for the bumper music yes. for the um, the commercials, but featured today, as the listener no doubt uh, heard, is Mr. Jeff Sheets. Jeff Sheets. Playing yes. this beautiful Christmas music for us. Jeff is from the uh, Kansas City area, also a very fine musician, and he has uh, donated this wonderful Christmas music for us. And if you if you listen up, you're going to get a really nice outro song here. So yeah, stick you're around not to the gonna end. You don't want to miss this. Yes. So check out his website too, jeffsheets.com. Fantastic. Yes, listeners, keep the 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 email coming and suggestions. If you want to get a shout out, uh, don't hesitate to write us to, uh, to Dave at adnauseum.com. Don't forget the V or Jeff at ad nauseum.com don't forget the v yes uh keep those suggestions coming we love hearing from yes. you and um yeah we we write back we do we write back yeah. so yes. next week jeff oh man i'm excited about that i'm a little nervous about this <laughs> more than a little right. nervous let's say so we're gonna it's uh, uh married with classes yes mrs winkle and mrs noe are coming into the studio and we're gonna record married with classes yes you don't want to miss this one nope yep and dave you got our gustatory parting shot i do so this comes from natasha natasha potter and uh, I don't agree with this completely. I might add a little in, but, you know, we'll just let it stand. It's nice. She says, there are three means of refuge from the challenges of life. Okay. Good music, good friends, and good food. Makes me want to light a candle. <laughs> Thanks for listening. See ya.
Pa 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 p